Hello, and welcome to episode 88 of Craft, Cook, Read, Repeat, a conversation about crafting food and books. I'm Monica. And I'm Courtney. Today is Thursday, April 14th, 2022. A big thank you to all of our listeners, both old and new. We hope this podcast will continue to be something you put on repeat. How was it April 14th? I was just, (laughs) you stole my line. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's crazy. But we're having rain, although we had a heat wave last week. We're having bananas weather. Bananas weather. I don't know what to expect. But for this podcast, you can expect the usual segments. On the needles, on the easel, on the table, and on the nightstand. That was a pretty good segue. Excellent segue. Thanks. So on the needles, lots of knitting this time. In part because I had my knitting retreat, the Northern California Knitters Retreat. This is my fourth year of going, and it has been three years since we've been, because we last time was 2019. It was fantastic. So nice. It was when we had the nice weather and not the rain, so that was good. And everybody just sat outside and knit for three or four days. It was delightful. Oh, that's wonderful. It was really nice. So in getting ready to go to that, I was trying to finish up some projects, which I did. First was the Love Note Sweater by Tin Can Knits. Hooray, hooray. I'm so excited. I talked about this the past couple of episodes. This was part of the purple yarn buying spree at Stitches West. So Apple Fiber Studio Delicious, which is their mohair silk in shadow, and their Macintosh base, which is a merino nylon alpaca in thistle. So the mohair silk is a super dark purple, and the thistle was a white and lavender. And you hold them together, and it has a lace yoke and three-quarter length sleeves and lower hem in the back, and it's just delightful. Um, And you knit it on size 10 needles, which are very big with small yarn, so it goes very quickly. And this pattern has been out for four years or so, and I thought basically everyone had knitted already, but it was still, when we were at Stitches West, a lot of the booth samples were Love Note sweaters, a lot of people were wearing it, so it is still pretty hot. And at the retreat, I wore mine, and a couple other people were knitting them, and somebody else was wearing one. And there were several people that had not yet made one. So it is it is still a thing. Their patterns are always really well written. So I mean, I could even see knitting a second one because it goes so quickly. And a, lo- a couple other people were talking about that. Um, so it is it is a super fun sweater. It ends up being both warm and light because of the kind of yarn you use, which is perfect for San Francisco sweater wearing. So it was really good. I'm super, super excited about it. I have not taken pictures of myself in it yet. So I need to work on that so I can get those posted. It's sweater weather right now. There's no excuse for you to not put this on and go outside in the rain. And (laughs) (laughs) Well, we can do that after. You can take my picture. Okay. So I can get that done. So that I finished before the retreat. And I did have to make it longer, even though I made the longer version. The longer version in the pattern is still pretty short. And I have a fairly long torso. So unpicking that bind off with the mohair was not fun. But it did mean that when I started ripping back, the stitches did not go anywhere, which was good when I was trying to pick them up again. 
because I didn't have to worry about them slipping out. Um, it is so a short, was... shortcut. Like, it's almost cropped. Yeah. Well, there's a cropped version and there's a longer version. But even the longer version, it's only nine inches total. So yeah. it's not it's not terribly long. So again, that was with high-waisted jeans. It's okay. I went back and added another inch and a half, I think. And I could have even gone a little longer just for what I am comfortable with. So and pretty. I had enough yarn. So Really pretty. So yeah, so that was fun. So that was done before the retreat started because I wanted I wanted to have that out of the way and finished. I had a couple of projects that I got started specifically so that I could work on them at the retreat. And I ended up with a really nice system while I was there. Three different projects that I was working on. I worked on one in the morning, one in the afternoon, and one at night. The one at the night was my Vanilla is the New Black Socks by Anna Fletcher that I've been kind of working on at symphonies and track meets and whatnot in the nitpicks Felici fingering in the solstice colorway, which is the pinks and the grays and the yellow. And I think there's a navy in there as well. And so that was my after dinner and a glass of wine and it's getting dark knitting because it was just going in a circle. And then I finally finished the second one of those the final morning we were there because I had hit the toe our last night there. And the stripe where I was doing the decreases was a dark charcoal gray, which was not working for me. And even though I was inside and there was light, there wasn't a lot of light and it was just really hard to see. And I was getting tired and decided it was probably better to just wait until the morning when things were a little more clear. So that's what I did. And then my morning project was the Diamond Back Top by Kira Delaney. And this is kind of a t-shirt and knit in worsted weight yarn with a diamond pattern on the back of it, thus the name. I kind of had my eye on this for a while, but didn't really know what yarn to use. And then I really wanted to use the Neighborhood Fiber Company Studio Worsted that I received as the first shipment for the 15th anniversary club. It is this searingly bright pink. It came with a scarf pattern, which is a lovely pattern, but I wasn't quite sure that I wanted to do that with the yarn I don't wear big chunky scarves that much. And I really like this color. So I wanted to do something else with it. And the colorway is called Latrobe. But then when we were at Stitches, I saw the designer and I remembered that I wanted to make this top and I thought, oh, perfect. So because it doesn't take very much worsted. So I cast this on and I have split for the sleeves. It's top down, kind of a raglan. You had to pay a little bit of attention, usually with a raglan sleeve. You do an increase row and then you do a plain row and an increase row and a plain row. She has you doing the increases at different points for the body and the sleeves and the neckline. So that was a good morning project. And then you're also doing the design on the back, but I've gotten past all of that. My hope was to get past the sleeves and all the increases before I got to the retreat. That did not happen. So I was able to do more work while I was there and it's at a good point. And I am pleased with it. And it is still very, very bright pink. <laughs> so I think it'll be a good kind of summer top. I should probably try it on to make sure that it is not too big. I was playing kind of fast and loose with the gauge. I did a swatch and I had to go down two needle sizes and my stitch count still wasn't changing. So I said, okay, let's just try this. <laughs> so we'll see how it goes. But I think it'll be cute and fun and there should be room like I can throw a t-shirt on underneath. So mm -hmm. which is <laughs> how we dress in San Francisco in the summer. But what I have been working on now was my afternoon project. 
It is the Toolbox Cowl by Adventure Du Jour Designs. And the yarn I'm using, I got at Stitches West 2019. So the time last time I had gone before. And it's a mini skein set in Destination Yarns postcard base, which is a light fingering. It is a set of six mini skeins. She had done a bunch of California-based colorways for Stitches West and then did a mini skein set. So it's six different colors. There's like a burgundy and a light blue and a tan, and then three variegated skeins that, you know, have those colors and some other ones. And the two Knitlit Chicks podcast is doing a mini skein knit along. So I thought this would kind of kill two birds with one stone. And it's a project that I've been wanting to do since I bought the yarn. So I was very excited and it is pretty easy. There's a little bit of texture with the two yarns and then you knit straight stockinette for a while with one color and then you work with two colors again. And it's very enjoyable um, and it's turning out really pretty. And I am working on the fifth color, I think. Yes, fifth color. So I'm almost done. I have one more color to add in and then the top section ribbing area. And so partially I'm working on that because then the long ends at the end of April. So I would like to be done so I can enter it. But I'm also just really enjoying it. And then I'll go back to my t-shirt. It's been super fun. Lots of good. Lots of knitting. Good. I'm glad that you have worked through your little knitting. I think stitches helped. <laughs> it did. Yeah, I had all sorts of yarn. And I have one more pair of socks that I started because we went to the symphony again. So I've started a pair for Simon and another Nitpicks Felici colorway Bayou, which is like blues and greens and very nice. And then Simon posed with his Rick Rack sweater. And he posed with his Rick Rack sweater. Yes. That, uh, that is on the podcast. Instagram feed. Instagram yep. feed. Yep. So, in case you want to see one of the husbands in the flesh. Yes. So you can, he didn't take his jacket off because it was raining. He was in New York and it was cold and and rainy. So he wore his sweater, which was very nice. And so he took some pictures. So you can't see the full thing, but you can definitely see all the, the rickrack and the body of it. So I think probably as good as, as it is going to get for a while. <laughs> Enjoy that. And uh, how about you? You have some knitting. I do. So... Monica's so good about listing all of yarns every time. Oh, and she listed mine. The show notes are ready for me because I'm such a slacker. Basically, I'm still working on Shawlography by Stephen West. It's got six different color of yarn. Check the show notes for that reference. But here's the thing. I'm on the short row wedges, which sounds like it should be fast but it is slow going because I'm building up this whole panel, triangle panel, on not one, but both sides of the shawl. And so I was halfway into the first short row wedge and I felt this creeping disappointment that the color on the back was what I really wanted to be the highlighted color on the front. It's kind of like a modified garter stitch section. And it creates some striping, but the way that the pattern is written, one color dominates on the front and the other color recedes. And I really wanted it reversed. And so I hemmed and hawed for four or five days. I reached out to Monica. She agreed with me that the back color would probably look better. And given what was coming next, 
it would really, really look better. And so one morning I super caffeinated myself, got myself all hyped up, turned on the big dining room light and I took it apart all the way back, <sighs> which was just, I mean, it took like four seconds to rip it all back, but it just takes me so long to knit that, that I was kind of sad. So now I am working my way back through those short rows and the, the color that I like better is highlighted. And so I feel really good about having done the effort. So that's what's happening on the knitting needles. But on the sewing needles, I, I have a lot going on. I have a lot today, actually. So yeah, me too. I'm not sure what is in the air lately. Yeah, it feels good. So I decided to make this over the swimsuit throw on caftan. And I had a pattern from closet core called the Charlie caftan. I had fabric for it, but then when I laid it all out, I didn't quite have enough. And I went back to the fabric store and was able to secure another yard and a quarter for, for what I needed. And this was kind of a muslin anyway, because I wasn't sure how I would like the fit. It fits, but it's not something that I want to throw on over a wet or a damp swimsuit. It's just, it feels a little too, like you're meant to wear proper undergarments with it. Mm -hmm. And so I abandoned that for, for my current thing. But all this has been leading up to a bigger shift that I've been noticing. And it might have started when we were at Stitches and seeing all of the great knitwear walking around us. I have been very low-key about my weekday uniform. I made a whole bunch of these great... Says the lady wearing all black. This is navy blue. I'll have it. This is navy blue and oh, black. Yeah. Okay, this yes, ensemble is. is mixed. <laughs> Fancy. So I thought it would be simpler for my brain to just kind of have a uniform that I'm wearing Monday through Friday and like take that decision out of the equation for myself. My house is upside down right now and I just thought it would be easier and it is, except it's super boring and I am so bored of it. That's a good thing for me to know because I have never had to wear a uniform so I didn't know how I would respond to it. So... I am abandoning my low-key uniform experiment, and I am going to try to introduce more color and pattern back in. I did a humongous closet purge before our construction started, and now want to be very deliberate about what I put back into the closet when I'm allowed to do that. And all to say that what this really means is that I need to practice sewing more. If I'm going to wear, you know, if I'm going to fold some of these makes into my wardrobe, I need to practice. And so I've kind of set up for myself like a new late in the year resolution to sew once a week for myself and like really nail down those block patterns. I had been talking about them ages ago, knowing what will fit me that way it'll be easier for me to jump into a different sewing project. So that's what's been happening on my needles, sewing and knitting. And that's pretty exciting. Yeah. But it's nowhere near as fun as what's on the easel. Oh. 
Tell yeah, me yeah. more. Yeah, who needs clothes? So, I I don't even know where to start. I was invited to participate in an art show. It's not until later this summer, but I have to paint a pigeon. And I don't particularly like pigeons. I said yes because I do love birds. I was going to say you love birds. So it's not... That's very um, exciting. Thank you. So I've been working on my pigeon sketches, drawing tons of them, trying to figure out some like way in that I can get excited about pigeons, a bird that I don't particularly care about. I don't have the negative pigeon stuff that most urban dwellers have because I grew up in the country and it wasn't like a a menace like it is in (laughs) cities. See, I already, I could just pour things. So I've been working on these cappuccine pigeons and they have these feathered ruffles and then the really sweet, colorful pigeons that are in the tropics basically working my way around the periphery of the common pigeon that everyone knows. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. Anyway, I thought about writing a little chapbook, like how to fall in love with a pigeon, like a real, like, how can I do this? How can I make myself appreciate this bird? I'm not there yet, but I did think of another idea for a chapbook and I am totally excited. I'm doing a whole thing about bird watchers and people who go out to watch birds. And it is, I am so into it right now. Like just pose, people posing, you know, with their binoculars and their big telescopic, telephotic, whatever lenses and all the different birds that they can see. And I ordered a bunch of books from... you know, this is my usual MO. Yeah. Like I have an idea and forget it. Order pizza, I'm I'm gone. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm really excited about how this is coming together. I have a hundred thousand ideas, which feels really good after maybe like a year and a half of having n- two years of having no ideas. Yep. And so you're just going to have to like, let me effervesce f- about this for a few weeks and we'll see where it goes. But I'm really excited and I'm hoping that a whole chapbook or whatever it is, whatever I'm going to call it, will come of this because I just feel like there's a lot of potential here. That makes me really excited, much more excited about hosting an open studio in the fall because I already see like tons of, of course it might be a little bird heavy, but it's what, That's it's, fine. I totally love it. It's so fun. I mean, you love birds anyway, so I'm hoping, it could have gone that way. Right. I'm hoping to bring a couple other people on board with this whole bird nonsense, but <laughs> okay. we'll see. That's it. That's what's on the easel. That's super fun. Thank you. Yay. So on the table, the husband and boy two went to New York City for spring break and they had a lovely time and that left me and boy one at home eating meat. (laughs) It was delightful. It ended up being a little bit less intense than I thought, but I did get to check out the Half-Baked Harvest website. Courtney's been talking about a lot of her recipes and I kept being very intrigued, but there was a lot of meat and gluten and too complicated for me to fix. So I went on there and was looking around and I found a recipe for honey garlic meatballs, which sounded pretty delicious. So I made those. I used ground turkey, which is fine. And it had, well, 
honey and garlic in there. And then you make a sauce. You cook the meatballs and then you make the sauce and then you simmer them in the meatball in the sauce for a little bit. And they were they were pretty delicious. I think the sauce needed a little bit more vinegar or something sharp. They were pretty soy heavy, which I don't dislike, but it, it needed a little more balance. On the other hand, that meant the recipe list was pretty short and very easy. And mostly things I had in my cupboard. I didn't, I think I bought the ground turkey and that was probably about it. And also if you use tamari, which I do, gluten-free soy sauce. Other than that, it was gluten-free on its own. So I could def, this is actually ends up being a recipe I could play with and serve to the whole family. You coat the meatballs in cornstarch. Yum. So, and that helped thicken the sauce as well. I've had my eye on that recipe, but I love having a flavor note because sometimes, you know, I feel like I need to taste test along the way with some of her stuff. Yeah. But on the whole, my family loves everything that I make from that side. Yeah, it was it was quite good. I think and again, just for me, I think there was a couple things I would tweak, but overall I was very happy with it. And then a couple of updates. So I think last time I said that the gluten free cascatelli was available at Whole Foods. And I have a spy at Trader Joe's. So this Monday I got a text. The cascatelli is here. My husband said he heard the car peeling out <laughs> as I went to get it. They did not have a whole display or anything. I think I've seen photos of ones at other stores where they have done a whole end cap. This was just on the regular shelf, which was great. So I grabbed a whole bunch of packets. And because Monday was pasta night, I was like, Ugh, time to do the taste test. And then today I got an email that my original cascatelli from Spolini. Spolini is that order is on the way. So I'm going to be drowning in cascatelli, which is fine. Although it was interesting because they both took less cooking time than the original, which the I thought was. The gluten free and the Trader Joe's took less. Yes. Both recommended less cooking time, substantially less, like yeah. normal pasta cooking times, which I thought was interesting. So, which I was a little bit worried about because you definitely needed the extra on the Spolini. So I cooked the gluten-free one the longest amount of time, and I think they did get a little bit over overcooked. Mm-hmm. So my husband was not blown away. The boys still like the Trader Joe's one. I mean, that's just a little bit easier to come by now, since it is at Trader Joe's. Taste-wise, pretty much the same. Maybe a little bit less chunky. Less texture. Yeah, but okay. still delicious. And, you know, if I don't have to wait for it to to show up in the mailbox, I will take that as a win. So. Okay. I that was exciting. Go. That's where we are. just there. <laughs> I texted you. I know, but I'm scrambling. I'm scrambling. It's okay. I'm, dra- I'm drawing bird watchers right now. You're very busy. Very busy. I understand. And then I wanted to do an update on the Soka from last week. I remembered where the recipe was from. The Soka is the chickpea flour pancakes that are kind of like crepes. And the recipe was from this book called Grist, which was a Christmas present from my parents. And it's all about cooking beans and grains and all those things that I tend to cook. So in there, she has two recipes. She has the Soka pancakes, which are kind of smaller individual ones. And then she has a recipe for Farnita, which is like a big honkin' one. So I envisioned it as more of a 
uh, like a Dutch baby pancake kind of thing. Fun. New York Times says that the Soka is from Provence, so I was right, it is French. But in neighboring Liguria, it's called the Farinata. So I don't know if there's a size difference. They're both delicious. They're basically the same thing. But also, while I was there looking that up, I found a delightful recipe for sweet potatoes with crispy rice in this grist cookbook. I almost didn't make it because it is one of those recipes where you look at it and it looks super simple, but then you realize it's actually four recipes in one. (laughs) However, I decided to go with it because one of the things is you roast sweet potato wedges for half an hour. Okay, so that's super easy. The other three things can all be done while that's happening. So on balance, it's okay. You do have to have cooked rice, which often I do. I also just had some of the frozen from Trader Joe's because I had just been there. So I was able to just take that out and you basically make a crispy rice pancake and break up the little bits and put that on top of your roasted sweet potatoes, which was delicious. You also make kind of an olive tapenade. It's, it's carb on carb. <laughs> I mean, you can't <laughs> <I>, Exactly. <laughs> It was, it was great. Then you make basically an olive tapenade, which... Yum. Delicious. Olives, capers, called for anchovies, which were optional and I didn't put in because meat. Orange zest, lemon zest, some herbs and, and whatnot. Again, very basic things that you're probably going to have anyway. Just, you could probably hand chop it. I did mine in my little mini food processor. So that was super easy. Shallots and things. Again, takes like two minutes. And then you make a zatar spiced oil, Yum. which, yay, get to use the zatar. You heat olive oil for a minute till it's shimmering, throw in some zatar spices and let it sit. So how easy is that? Pour all those over, add some goat cheese. So the contrast of flavors was fantastic. You've got, you know, the really sweet, creamy potatoes and then the crispy rice bits which were you know nice and plain which is a good contrast because the olives had so much flavor and then this extra little hit from the the oil and the goat cheese and I loved it my husband loved it the kids ate it (laughs) they're not quite as excited about sweet potatoes as we are I think they like the rice bits and I served it with chicken for them so they were happy about that nice so yeah, and You're I went fine. to I know, and I went to the grocery store and they had rhubarb. So I will have strawberry rhubarb cobbler tomorrow. So exciting. Fun. Tis season. It is. So it's spring now. It is. In case you were wondering. I made rice crispy treats, which isn't super exciting, except that I did do the smitten kitchen brown butter ones with like a sm- uh, a pretty strong pinch of flaky sea salt. Mm. And my kids declared them better than the ones that they get at a you know convenience <laughs> store. So that's always good for the ego. I also made hot honey chicken, which is a half-baked harvest recipe. And last time I didn't have the cornflakes, so I did it with uh, panko. This time I went all in and did it with the, the cornflakes and people were eating the crumbles out of the tray afterward. They loved the cornflakes. So maybe that was worth it. <laughs> yep. It comes with, or you make with it, a really nice hot honey sauce that last time I had made too spicy. And this time I dialed it back a little bit so that I could eat it. <laughs> and that was delicious. And this is 
a chicken that like marinates in buttermilk. So the mm. whole thing is pretty great. Then last night with some cascatelli, I made the Julia Tertian Lubov's green spaghetti. So instead of spaghetti, mm. I used cascatelli. And this is a green sauce that is made in the food processor with, I used kale, spinach, garlic. Basil? No, they didn't have any yeah, good basil. Yeah, mine didn't have any basil um, either. I used parsley and chives just hmm. for a little kick. I like it better with basil, yeah. but this was so good. Instead of feta, I used parmesan. I mean, it's delicious. Cheese. It's cheese. <laughs> and green. Green and goodness. So my plan was to, well, see see how excellent the cascatelli would be with a green sauce. It is, in fact, excellent. Yes. And I'm super excited to go home after this and have the last little bit for lunch. Oh, I made this. Okay, I haven't talked about this. I was like, I talked about this last time. No, because Monday I made it, the green sauce for me and boy one. When the with other two cascatelli? Were... No, not with oh. cascatelli. I didn't have my cascatelli yet. I made it, I think, with spaghetti. Okay. But the sauce was great. Oh, and I didn't have the basil and I was a little sad. Okay. It needs that. It does need that. Yeah. I think the cascatelli is such a, it's sauceability is high in it my is. regard. Yeah. But what I was really trying to do, not only use the cascatelli as a vehicle for the green sauce, but I unearthed my cured eggs. Oh. The, and I, I was so excited but they weren't ready yet. Oh. So I talked about this last week. I salt cured some really super fresh, organic, like hand raised chicken eggs. They were beautiful, super. You know, when you crack an egg and the yolk is like a mile high and it's like very, the white is really vis like high viscosity. Mm -hmm. It's not spreading everywhere. That's how these egg yolks were. They were really difficult to separate. They mm. were just super fresh. So I think they need more time mm. in this salt-sugar mixture to help desiccate them. They were still pretty jammy. There was no way I could have gra uh. grated it. And you're supposed to rinse the egg off. Like This is, when I was talking about it, it was kind of like, you know, mama sea turtle laying her eggs in the sand. And, well, then I felt like, it felt wrong to dig them out of the sugary salt mixture, but they were quite firm. I just think they need, you know, maybe another week to really, and maybe some more of the dry mixture in there because it mm. felt quite, there was some humidity, oh, if you will. Interesting. I think that if the eggs weren't as fresh, it probably would have happened in a week. I just think they need more time. So... So stay tuned. I was so excited to eat it. Yeah. That would have looked beautiful too. The orange egg yolk yeah. on the on the green pasta. You'll just have to make it again. I'll just have to make more cascatelle with some other cool sauce yes. that can have a grated egg on top. That's it for my kitchen. Well, that's pretty good. Okay. All right. On the nightstand. I have no themes. I have lots of randomness, which is fine, I think. And not as many books because, because I don't know. Oh, because I was at a knitting retreat and all I did was knit pretty much. So first book, One Night on the Island by Josie Silver. I have read her other two books and they are quite good as well. Technically, I think this is a romance, 
but she has a lot more real-life stuff going on, and her tone is a little more realistic than a lot of the romances that I favor. So if someone was looking for a romance, I don't think this is this would be the one I would point them to, but still a really good book. Cleo is 29. She is a writer living in London. She writes a column about her dating life for an online woman's magazine. And her boss feels like she's a little burnt out. She's been doing this column for four years. So for her 30th birthday, they decide that she's going to go to this tiny island off the coast of Ireland, stay by herself for like three weeks and learn to love herself and write about it. And, you know, being 30 is fabulous, blah, blah, blah. So Cleo is sort of unsure about this originally, but goes for it. Shows up on the island, small problem, the owner of the cabin has told his second cousin, Mac, that he can go and stay. And there is only one boat that comes once a week, and it just left after dropping them both off. And it's a really small island, so there's no other place for either of them to stay. And it's pouring rain, because it's, <laughs> it's Ireland. So, obviously, shenanigans ensue. They both have lots of, you know, personal things going on. They, they are stuck in this cabin for a week. There was knitting in the book. She um because there's she's there for three weeks and so she starts to to get to know the townspeople and they have a little uh knitting club for the women on the island and they, they do some knitting. So that part was delightful. It was really good. They had it was a very interesting relationship. I was pretty sure they were gonna get together, but at the same time I was a little bit unsure because they had a lot of tricky things going on in their relationship, and that's kind of how her books are that pretty sure, but there's a lot lot of stuff going on in there. Yeah, One Night on the Island by Josie Silver. And then I read The Violin Conspiracy by Brendan Slocum. Ray is about, I think he's 22. He is a black man from North Carolina, and he is a few months away from entering the Tchaikovsky competition in Moscow, which is a hugely important musical competition. When his violin is stolen from him he's while well, he's in New York City, and his violin happens to be a Stradivarius. And so the book goes back and forth in time, um, how he became a violinist, how he got this violin, and then going forward, the search for the violin and the competition and, you know, his whole musical career. It was a really good book. The author is a music teacher and musician. So a lot of what he writes about is from his personal experience, being a black man in the classical world. Not a lot of people for him to look up to, learn from. And it's also a little bit of a thriller with the the violin part of it. There's a lot of family trauma. His mom doesn't want him to be a violinist. She thinks he should just get a job at the grocery store and make some money. And I think it's his first book. So it wasn't entirely clear what genre he wanted it to be. And there was a lot of things going on. I felt sometimes like the characters were pretty just black and white. There wasn't a lot of depth there, but it was a really good story. Good twists and turns. I thought I had things figured out and I did not. So I always like that. Really inspiring as well. The Violin Conspiracy by Brendan Slocum. Then The Paris Apartment by Lucy Foley, which I borrowed from Courtney. Lucy Foley. So this is like her third or fourth book. Same setup as the other ones. Something's going on. Each chapter is a different character. You're not quite sure what's happened. Jess is kind of the main character. She 
is coming to visit her brother who lives in a Paris apartment. She's been in England. Something has gone on there. So she is coming to visit him. He leaves her a message saying, yeah, yeah, I'll be here. Here's how you get in. I'll be waiting up for you. But when she arrives at the apartment, he is not there. His keys are still there. His bike's still there. His clothes are still there. What's going on? All the other tenants of the apartment building are really weird. So mystery. What happened to her brother? What's going on? Very dark. Yeah. And Courtney said it needed more Paris. 100% agree. There's one scene where she goes out to buy a croissant and that's like it. Even when she's at, there's a couple of scenes where she goes around the city, but it's not very. There's opportunity for it, but I don't think she takes advantage of it. No. They'll be on a, a balcony and they'll like, oh, look, there's the Eiffel Tower. <laughs> that's yeah, kind it's of it. tacked on. Yeah. So I, I think that that made it a little bit less successful than her other ones where you did really have a sense of of place. Right. So, but you know, the mystery was pretty good and twists and turns that again, I did not see coming. I mean, not that I'm, <laughs> I don't generally try and figure out the mysteries. So that could be why I don't see them You're coming. Like a closet CSI. Apparently fanatic. not. No. <laughs> so then the God of lost words by AJ Hackwith. This is the final book in the hell's library trilogy. Claire is, the lib well, she is the librarian of the unwritten wing of Hell's Library, which is where all the books that never get written are housed. So anything, you know, um, Stephen King has an idea, but he doesn't write it down, or a farmer in China, you know, has to do all his farming, so he never gets to be the writer that he could be. All of those books are housed here. Characters sometimes come alive, and the librarians have to track them down. That's all in book one. Book two, more shenanigans. So book three, Claire is no longer the librarian. She is the archivist of the Arcane Wing, which is where objects of great power are stored. She has gathered a crew of friends and things happen in book two. They are still recovering from that. And Hell has realized something and wants to take over the libraries. So now they have to defend off the armies of the underworld. And they do that by... That just makes me chuckle. Armies of the Underworld. Yeah, yeah. It's deep. It's a really good book. It's it's It sounds like it's going to be kind of light and frothy, and it really isn't. But it's really interesting because, I mean, these people are in hell, a lot of them, but you still want to side with your main character. So it's interesting how she's done that through yeah. the, the whole series. <laughs> Lots of good relationships between all of the various characters, personal growth, all those lovely things. And uh, so much stuff about books and libraries and what it means to be a library or a librarian, what the point of it is. So that part I really loved. It was a good series and, you know, three books done. So that was that was well done. Uh, so the final one is The God of Lost Words by A.J. Hackwith. And then an audiobook. The End of the Ocean by Maya Lundy, translated by Diane Oatley from Norwegian. This is the second book in sort of a series, but more just a collection, I think. The first one was The History of Bees, and she's basically looking at climate disasters. So the first one was about bees and what happens if we don't have bees. This one looks at uh, what happens if we don't have water. 
So there's two stories going on at the same time. We go back and forth between Cigna, who is uh, 70 years old in like now-ish. She grew up in a small town in Norway that had a glacier and a beautiful lake and some beautiful waterfalls that have all been taken over by energy companies. So she's still fighting against that. So you get her whole history and what she's doing currently. And then in 2040, we have David and his daughter, who are from the south of France, which has been in a five-year drought. Uh, There's no water, their town burned down. So they're in a refugee camp in middle of France and what their experience is. And she does a good job of weaving the two stories together. In the Bees book, there were three different tales that all ended up intersecting. Uh, And it's just, you know, climate issues, how we deal with it, I guess, really how quickly things can change in just 20 years. Um, The father-daughter relationship was really interesting and how, how you relate to other people when you're in a crisis. I really, I like, I like her books. I think the translation is quite good. The I, As I said, this was an audio version. So they had two different voice actors for that that I thought did a really good job. Did you read or listen to the Bee? I think I read the Bee's one. Okay. Any preference with... No. Okay. Either one, I think. And she has a new one out. Oh, really? Yep. The Last Wild Horses. Oh. I'm, I'm cheating and looking this up while Monica is talking because it sounds like the... Nice. Is it part of the same series or is it a different? This sounds like in the same series, climate novel. Oh yeah. Wow. It just, just come out. (laughs) 2022. Huh? Yeah. Cool. Well, I will have to check that one out too. Yeah. I I liked them. The bees one. I really liked this one. I also liked it. Do you think read them in order? No, it really doesn't matter. There's no character overlap. It's just a similar concept. Super. And it, ticks the box for one of my goals for the year. So that was always very exciting. Yeah. How about you? I have two books for you today. One is A Slow Fire Burning by Paula Hawkins. This is tagging on to my last week's theme of murder mysteries. What else did she write? The Girl on the Train. Oh, I wonder if I have read that. Hmm. Anyway, let's hear about the one you read. Um, I... Did not read The Girl on the Train, now that I'm thinking about this, because everyone was reading it at Uh, a time. And sometimes that irritates me, and I think, I will just wait then. Yeah, for sure. So anyway, this one is a newer newer publication, and it it was really well done. There are these three story threads connected to a young man's death on a houseboat. We get lots of different perspectives from these three different angles. I have to say that some of them were like uncomfortable at times and I just wasn't sure where things were going. I was interested in it because there was this one old lady neighbor and her story was the most compelling and she had connections that surprised me and I was just kind of rooting for this Three cheers for the old lady neighbor who everybody was discounting her her sense of detail and her sense of timing, but really she was the one who had it most together in a lot of ways. It's one of those books you, you just want to settle into and read. There's a terrible trauma in one thread and then all woven together, you feel pretty bad for this group of people. 
However, it is well told. I was I was interested, and now I do want to read her other books now that they're all available at the library. I have read The um, Girl on the Train, although it's not showing up in my Goodreads for some reason. It's kind of like Gone Girl. Right. I think that's partly why, is they kept comparing it. Like, it's the next Gone Girl. Don't tell me that. Like, let Gone Girl be mm-hmm. Gone Girl and let Paula's work be its own work. Like, I just, I don't know. Sometimes I like it when it's relevant, but they're just trying to sell books. Yeah. Or at least that's how it came across to me. Mm-hmm. So I recommend this, Slow Fire Burning, Paula Hawkins. It takes place in, I think, London, present day. Good stuff. Uh, Well, for a murder mystery. Then I read, well, this this is a case of me trying to put on an audiobook and it not clicking, but because of a voice, like the voice Mm -hmm. kind of, and I hate to say this because there's nothing anybody can do about their voice. But I did not care for the narrator. However, I was pretty sure I was going to like the book. So I ordered a paper version and read it. So Mrs. Benson's Beetle by Rachel Joyce. I have no idea where I even heard about it. What I thought was going to be a really fun book was super compelling. Oh my goodness. So 1950s, we have Marjorie, who is charting a course, literally, for New Caledonia to search for this beetle that her father talked about when she was little. And Marjorie has no family and pretty sad prospects and a a broken heart. And so she sets off and tries to hire an assistant and lands herself the craziest assistant ever with Enid Pretty. And Enid, you know, she shows up for this beetle expedition wearing pom-poms and high heels and like skin-tight clothes. And she's just a handful. So they set off on this adventure. And a large part of the beginning of the book is just them getting there and how the trust building that takes place between these two characters is so worth the read how they have to rely on each other and neither has the other's full backstory. And I just thought it was, it wasn't like this easy friendship. It, it took work for the two of them to trust each other and to go forward on this path. And then once they get to new Caledonia, it gets all kinds of complicated and their sense of purpose really comes to a head. They're hunting for this beetle They've only got a certain amount of time. They've lost some of their luggage. I mean, it's kind of crazy, but it's also this incredible story of friendship and doing the work, doing the work of a friendship. And I just, I really appreciated that. And I'm glad that I didn't let an initial audio impression stop me from from grabbing the actual book and reading it because I thought it was pretty joyful. And I actually wish that this is, this has a little thing in the back, like for book groups, this would be a good book group book because there's, there's a lot to talk about. There's a lot to unpack. Okay. And I need some ideas for our next season. Okay. Then or year of book group. (laughs) I think there's a lot there. Okay. Cool. I mean, definitely read into it. There's, 
There's a lot written about it, I think. Okay, that sounds um, interesting. So anyway, this is Benson's Beetle, the, the golden beetle of New Caledonia. Is it based on a real beetle? Don't know. I finished it last night, and okay. I don't know if it is. I don't think so. There's some notes in the back that I'll read through uh, later Okay. On. But there are golden beetles in the world that I know of, like for real mm -hmm. beetles. So perhaps. All right, then. Cool. Actually, that didn't take too long. You had a lot of stuff. Got it all in there. Very cool. Yeah, I think that's it. That's it, folks. Cool. All right. So until next time, be sure to do something you love every day. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Show notes can be found at craftcookreadrepeat.podbean.com. You can find us on Instagram as craftcookreadrepeat or courtneysf, that's C-O-R-T-N-E-Y-S-F. On Ravelry, I'm Magdon, M-A-G-D-O-N. And if you have any questions or comments, email us at craftcookreadrepeat at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.